what's it like going to church every week when you don't believe? And my answer to that is, well, going to Catholic Mass every week is like owning season tickets to a team that plays a sport that you don't really give a shit about. (laughs) And every game ends the exact same way. A shitty wine tasting event that you can't even go to. (laughs) Hey, what's going on? Thanks for tuning in to the Wang Bang Podcast, everyday commentary for everyday people. This is your host, Emil Wang, and I'm super excited for today's episode, talking my life in stand-up comedy. Joining me is a very good friend, a man who needs no introduction on this podcast, a comedian and MMA fighter who will not throw a dolly through a bus, Mr. Jeff Liu. How's it going, wow. man? <laughs> it's going well, man. Uh, <laughs> a little bit nervous about this episode, just like I was about uh, our, our stand-up. <laughs> I've been super stoked to talk about this for a while since, you know, you and I are both huge comedy fans and are always talking about, you know, doing stand-up. Uh, I always run ideas by you when I'm putting together my material. Um, so this whole experience has actually been really, really enjoyable. And we're going to talk about some of our inspirations, our joke writing processes, uh, and the and the actual performance day. But but first, let's talk about what got us into it. Um, so, Jeff, starting with you, I mean, what really inspired you to, to try stand-up comedy? Well, you know, I I always wanted to kind of get a crack at it. Uh, when I was in college and stuff, I, I tried to do, you know, like stuff to just get me into entertainment. I did um, a, co- a couple commercial tryouts uh, that didn't go anywhere, but I did two student films. And I kind of figured that <laughs> – Stand-up would just be a vehicle that I could try to do something around, you know. And, and, I mean, this this has been something that I've been wanting to do since high school because, you know, when you're in high school and you're just dicking around, you know, you're hanging out with friends. And, you know, the fr- your friends will tell you, ha-ha, that's funny. Ha-ha, you should do stand-up or do anything. And, and you know, for your friends, a, a lot of times they're just, you know, saying things to just say things. But um, for me, at least, I took a lot of that to heart, stuck with me for the longest time. And, you know, it's always been something in the back of my mind that I wanted to try because I thought that I could do it well. Yeah, I I hate to break it to you, dude. But back in high school, we were really just laughing to make you feel better about yourself. Um, You kind of (laughs) suck. Um, yeah, and, and to add boring. and to add on to that, you know, I, I I get where you're coming from. I mean, you know, you and I were I would say we're more on the social end of uh, or social and expressive end of of the kids that we grew up with. And I've always enjoyed performing. Uh, I I feel like because of positive feedback from you know people we we were around, I've always wanted to to give this a try too. Right, and, and it's. It's one of those things that, you know, we when you watch it, you you kind of think that you can do it, right? Yeah, it like, makes it, it it seems so easy when yeah. other people are doing it. You're just like, that's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, and and it, and it or it just it seems 10 times easier when you watch really bad comedians who have their own Netflix yeah. special. Like that yeah. is what's the most frustrating thing is when you see these uh, stand comedians who have, you know, even a 10, 15 minute segment on Netflix that, that you watch and you're like, this person's not funny. Like I am so much better than this person. I could totally do this. And that is really what got me into it. 
Church is the only place where I find the cries and shrieks of infants and toddlers comforting. Because it's a reminder that I'm not the only one there that thinks it's fucking retarded. <laughs> um, on the topic of inspirations, you know, Tom Segura, Bill Burr, Christian Finnegan, all white guys, uh, <laughs> and all kind of uh, wow, you know, all white guys who are either angry or sarcastic. Uh, you know, but what I like about them is they. They do a good job of telling stories. I, I like, and Tom Segura in particular is a fantastic storyteller. Uh, oh yeah, very it's great, very natural. Uh, you know, almost tells it from, um, you know, so many perspectives within the story that it, it it's really engaging, really enjoyable. And he can go into these long twenty thirty minute stories that that really go nowhere. Like that that story of him and Mike Tyson, like. What really happens in that bit of him and Mike Tyson, right? He meets him on a plane. Tom! <laughs> I've seen your special, Tom. I've seen you on Netflix. <laughs> but yeah, like nothing really happens in that story, but he's able to tell it for 20, 30 minutes. And, and just all of these riffs and all these little segues are just are – just, and you don't get bored. Exactly, exactly. And you're able to follow yeah. the whole story. You don't forget where the story left off. I mean, that is that is truly, you know, kind of the, the I should say, the peak of the craft, in my opinion. And to be honest, you know, you like, you know, you've seen my bit. Um, a lot of my a lot of my material is kind of based on that, like building a story, building things up, and then trying to 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 hit you with a punchline and it's not just it's not just bombarding you with a bunch of one-liners which i've seen comics do before and i while i appreciate the jokes and think they're funny i don't necessarily think they are talented as stand-up comedians um okay i mean i see i see what you're saying but like you know in a complete 180 from your inspirations for doing stand-up. My inspirations were doing for doing stand-up growing up were almost all completely black. <laughs> like the the first the first stand-up uh, set that I ever heard was Eddie Murphy's Delirious, and I heard that on cassette. Okay, so that's that's how fucking old it is, you know. By the way, wildly then, overrated. Know, Delirious? Yeah. Okay. Uh, it, it it doesn't stand the test of time. I will say that much. Yeah. Okay, yeah. but as like a tw like maybe an eleven or twelve year old at the time, I was laughing my ass off, you yeah. know. And because like, you were eleven, but like you know, a good forty percent of the material went over my head because I didn't I didn't fucking understand it, you know. Yeah. I didn't understand like all the gay connotations with Prince and like Michael Jackson. I didn't understand like the subtleties of like the gay community and AIDS and all that other sort of shit. And yeah, looking back on it now, it was a very crass piece and it like has, it, it does not age well, you know, but it kind of gave me a sense of the time because like, I'm not saying that it was brave of him to make fun of the gay community or anything like that, but you know, to go up there and to be able to, have a rapport with the audience and be able to speak, you know, in the language that they 
understand and everybody's on board with him you know this is this is like he did he did both of these specials in the 80s at the top of his you know at the height of his career like beverly hills cop and like uh you know the the golden child and coming to america you know like everybody fucking loved eddie murphy and i didn't i didn't have any of that backing going in but he has such a force of presence when he's on the stage and everything that you say and everything he says and the tone that you want, he wants to, like he says it in is so fucking funny. Like, it, like I, I just think that that like really drove me up. Yes. I will be the first one to admit that like listening to it now, it's cringeworthy. Like I cannot go back and listen to it because I'm just like, oh my god, he's so insensitive, he's so ignorant, like all this other shit. But <clears throat> that was just the first one that I listened to, and I thought it was funny at the time. And I, when I revisited it with like a uh, greater knowledge of the '80s and all the context that it was in, when I got older and I got into those movies, I was like, man, you know, he's so good. Like he he was on a roll at that time. He couldn't be stopped. And then I watched Chris uh, – and then I listened to Chris Rock. You know, Chris Rock's uh, There's No Sex in the Champagne Room or whatever that set was called. And that fucking had me rolling too. Like he had the whole bit about, uh, you know, how he they should make bullets like $10,000 a piece. Like he was talking about urban violence and all that sort of stuff. And I'm like, oh, you know, this is an evolution. He's talking about like relevant shit now and – it's so smart. It's smarter than Eddie Murphy was. It's like, it's relevant to the type of stuff that I'm seeing. It has to do with the current events. I can keep up with it. It makes me feel smart to know what he's talking about because it makes me feel like I can tap into this cultural center that I would otherwise not be exposed to on kind of a much more street level. You know what I'm saying? Like you could watch the news and learn about this sort of stuff, but like to hear it from this comedian's mouth, and to laugh about it, it makes it makes you feel like, you know, you're participating in a culture, too. And then, like, after Chris Rock, there was a huge hiatus for me. I didn't listen to stand-up for the longest time. And, like, and, and then I, I listened to Dave Chappelle for the first time. And Dave Chappelle, I felt, was, like, like light years removed from, from Chris Rock. Because Dave Chappelle, when he did the Killing Me Softly uh, <clears throat> stand-up set in Washington, D.C., not only was he back home talking like to the people that he had grown grown up around. Everybody knew exactly what he was talking about. A lot of people <coughs> had the same sort of like upbringing as Chappelle did. Um, he was talking about it in such a smart way. And I had watched Chappelle in a couple of movies at that point. He had been in a couple of Martin Lawrence movies. He was in uh, Blue Streak, you know. And I was like, oh, my God, Chappelle – you know, Dave Chappelle was like acts like such an idiot uh, in everything else that he does. You know, how is he so smart in stand up? And that's really what was like, damn, <coughs> you know, this guy is really, really fucking smart. And like he's putting it on a platform. And that's what pushed me to do it, because I was like, you know what? The way that he's talking about his experience as like an African-American, I want to be able to talk about that as an Asian-American. And really, I don't think that anybody does it as well as Chappelle does. So that's a really lofty goal to fucking do. Because when I look at Chappelle, I do see a black comedian, but I see a black, <coughs> a black comedian that can reach like 
a very, very mainstream audience without losing his roots in the black, you know, in the black community. And I, I think that's something that like a lot of the minority comics can't do. Like they're really reaching <clears throat> to an audience that they understand and like they're overextending themselves if they want to really touch the mainstream in any way. Yeah. I, I think, and this, this may be a, a wildly ignorant statement to me, but I, I think that because of how much, you know, that how much we hear about the, the fucked up things that happen to African-Americans because we hear about all this, because we develop that empathy, we, we respond well to African-American comedians. Whereas, you know, I think when white people hear Asians, uh, you know, bitch about their problems and, you know, you, people who've heard me speak about this before know that Asians really don't have quite the same level of problems as African-Americans. Uh, no, it's true. Yeah, it, which it makes us a lot less uh, easy to empathize with, which is why I I think people don't find Asian comedy that funny unless you're playing these tropes, right? You can't really kind of take the Asian issues to a higher relatable level, and instead you you're stuck playing this caricature. So it, it is kind of a a hand in hand chicken and the egg thing. Um, but but you're right. Uh, you know what you say. I, I agree uh, about Dave Chappelle. I think his comedy is very very smart. Um, I think his mic to the knee slap thing is incredibly annoying, and it makes his performances <laughs> very stupid. But overall, so nitpicky. <laughs> I, I, it drives me nuts. Well, he, here's the thing, and you know, I saw Mark Marin uh, uh, about a year ago. And I love Mark Maron's podcast. I loved his show a and Mark Maron uh, during his standup special, you know, it, it was long too. It must've been an hour okay. 20. He literally, I think maybe 30 times throughout the show, just put his hands over his face and then laughed in the microphone. And then the whole audience just laughed with him. And I was like, dude, that that's like that's exactly the same thing as the Dave Chappelle knee slap. It's just a dude who's capitalizing on his fame and he does something that's like oh like you know, he he doesn't even do anything funny. It's just him like breaking out of character and then the whole audience is laughing with him because he's breaking out of character, you know? Like imagine if we did that shit at the open mic, like if we just kinda broke down and laughed at our own jokes, like everybody'd be like, What the fuck is this guy doing? Right? But, but see, we don't have that level of rapport well, with, with the audience. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, it, it, it's rapport, but it's also you know audience members who just you know who I think don't know any better <laughs> and think that they're. Uh, I mean, yeah. you're. I, I mean, I, I I'm going to go into this later. I'm going to talk about kind of knowing your audience. You and I really saw this the day of our performance. How like even even just. You know, knowing people like other people in the room can help you get so many laughs, and it, it, oh, it's, sure. it's a little yeah. frustrating. But we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later. I mean, could you imagine how great it would be if we took Bruce Lee's movies and replaced all of the action sequences with math competitions? <laughs> like, instead of him going into a dojo and beating up like a hundred black belts, he goes to a math leagues competition and simultaneously takes like a hundred tests and finishes them. Before anyone else can finish work. <laughs> Let's talk the preparation. I mean, ahead of our of our open mic attendance, we were able to confirm with with the open mic host that we would be able to get the extra minute of our performances. So both of us had four minutes to uh, four minutes to go, whereas you know in typical open mics you only get three. 
how, how did you come up with your material? I mean, what's your process? <laughs> I came in really, really overconfident. And I don't know if it was a combination of overconfident, but also like, oh, if I bomb, I don't want to bomb on like the, the material that I've been writing. Cause like I've been, I, you know, I, I listen to, uh, Joe Rogan. I listen to, uh, Tom Segura talk about their processes. They, they do, they write a lot of notes to themselves, which I do. You know, anytime I think about something that I think is funny, I, <clears throat> I pop out my phone, I take a microphone note, you know, I write it down and I, I save it for later. So, you know, by the time that we came to our performance, I had somewhere along the lines of like nine pages worth of this. Like, like long, long, like size 10 font pages worth of stuff. And <clears throat> I hadn't organized it. I had organized some stuff for when we were trying to do stand up in Colorado. Uh, I had organized some stuff for when we were going to do stuff in Miami, but you know, frankly speaking, I was a little angrier back then. And I, I like all my shit is so, was so mad, you know, like I was talking about like road rage in Los Angeles and I was talking about, you know, how much I hate Asian stereotypes and all this other sort of shit. And I was in a really good mood when we ended Seattle. So I was like, I, I, you know, I don't want to do any of this like angry shit, you know, like, <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not feeling it, you know? Yeah. So yeah. I made a mistake. I made a mistake and I wrote my entire uh, Seattle set like from scratch. Mm -hmm. And I had like two bits that I, I, I thought were really funny. Uh, you know, my black, like, and, and I had come up with them by myself, like just walking around. And I was like, fuck, I should just, you know, do this because that's my joke. You know, nobody else has told this joke. It's not inspired by anybody else. I thought about this myself. And it didn't end up rolling off the way that I did. Um, and uh, I wrote all this other stuff. I, I had actually written some Seattle-themed stuff. Like I, I was going to talk about Microsoft and Bill Gates, but I was like, you know, that shit's not going to fly off very well, and I only have like three minutes to do it. So <clears throat> I ended up leaving like four minutes worth of material on the floor and ended up with like three and a half minutes stuff to actually go in and it was all written the day of everything was written the day of i'd watch some like news channel when i woke up and i made made a parkland joke i was like oh yeah that'll be edgy you know yeah. <laughs> like I'll, I'll make a i'll make a joke about fucking uh david hogg and uh <laughs> like what rejection um, from ucla yeah rejection from ucla and uh, like um Oh, I, I don't even remember the Fox News personality that had said that, but you know, like, oh, that's going to be edgy. That's going to be that's going to fucking fly over. Great, people are going to see how relevant and I I am as shit. I I just felt fake as shit when I was giving off that part, like in the actual thing. So preparation was key, and overthinking it, and and underthinking it, and just really not knowing what to do for the open mic, like, it, uh. Like this time, the preparation was just really, really poor for me. Like I, I, I would, I would do things differently next time. Yeah. Well, it, you know, it was your first time, and and it it was a kind of strange audience, and I, and I'll get into that. But well, you know, what you said about ideas, um, I I think it it is good to always write down ideas. And just like you, you know, I have a running Google Doc of ideas and material, and it is literally like five, six pages now. It is, it is very, very long. And, you know, people always ask me, like, is it hard coming up with material? Absolutely not. You can sit down and write three minutes, four minutes of material in, in 30 minutes. Like, as long as you have all of your ideas that you're constantly kind of 
picking up and writing down throughout every day of your life. Like it, it's really not that hard to write material. And, and the other thing is what's what's kind of nice about you know appreciating comedy as an art is that you can always be thinking about things. You can always be practicing things, especially like. You know, in day-to-day conversations, like if you think that there's a bit that's funny, like you don't tell people like, oh, hey, like, you know, I'm working on this bit. What do you think? Like you try to work it into a conversation and see kind of what what kind of response you get. Right. And and, and that's what, you know, something I learned in the class that I took that, hey, you know, you, you like if you're able to surprise people or, or, you know, lead a conversation in a direction and then hit them with a punchline like that in itself is practice and that in itself is feedback that you can get to to start really putting together your material this open mic has probably been my fifth or like fifth or sixth performance already i can't remember so i i've definitely had an idea of what kind of preparation it takes um not not to say that i did great or anything yeah you know and i agree like your your bits were really fleshed out you had uh you know a set that all made sense it was all cohesive like the transitions all made sense like for you it was just kind of like okay i just want to see you know how a audience uh will react to that and i I feel so that's the ultimate purpose of an open mic you don't go uh you know you don't go to an open mic to like kill it necessarily and i I think you you accomplish that because like, you know, this was, I mean, you're going to get into this, but this was a really fucking odd audience that we uh, <laughs> were behind, you know, and, and I'm, I'm not trying to make excuses or anything, but like, uh, it, it's like, dude, like y'all make me want to use the hashtag blessed for my life. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yeah. It, <laughs> so it, it's a good segue into the audience that we had because I had never done an open mic here before. Jeff and I get there. It's in the Capitol Hill neighborhood of Seattle. And for those of you who aren't familiar, it's quote unquote the neighborhood, but also has a high density of uh, of homelessness around the area. So of the, I would say, 20, 20 some comics that performed that night, I would say 75 percent of them were either homeless or were homeless before. Uh, or a, a LGBT, um, you know, a lot of them were not the not, not not the kind of not the kind of crowd that we're we're practicing our comedy bits with on a day to day basis. So, um, yeah. <laughs> and what you know, one thing that you know, for any of any of you who plan to go to an open mic one day, plan to perform at one, one thing to remember about an open mic is ninety percent of the audience are other comics who really don't care about what you're saying like they nope. just want their three minutes up there uh to practice their bit and and get the hell out um the the more courteous people will listen will give you feedback will laugh but i mean really in some sense it's almost like a competition and I, I I was telling you jeff this but um the the Seattle underground comedy club is kind of the the big one here, and every Monday the open mic is is uh, takes on about takes on about thirty comics. Uh, the the show runs three hours, and the top ten comics of that thirty comic show get invited back on Tuesday, and then the top two comics from that show get to open for the weekend uh, headliners. So, in a sense, it it is a competition at the that open mic. So. All the comics are not that nobody gives you any any feedback because they don't want to kind of fuel your fire. This one 
it was kind of a collection of odd people to start with. But one other thing is that they were odd people that all knew each other really, really well. So they were all very, very supportive of each other. But us as outsiders coming in, it was a little bit I, – I definitely felt the cold shoulder. Oh, yeah, for sure. And don't get me wrong. We weren't the only outsiders. That's that's the thing. Like there were some people there that were like outsiders and like even we were kind of like – uh. Okay, so there's that group of friends, and then there's us, and then there's all those other people that are just here, like, and they, you know, like, they literally came in alone. They're, like, walking solo right now. And that was, like, <laughs> holy crap, you know, like, who who am I supposed to target, <laughs> like, on, on this, uh, on my, my, my jokes, you know, like, no nobody, like, there, there's no consistency to how I'm supposed to say this joke. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and that's one of those things. It's like what makes open mic so hard, and what makes kind of this low level uh, comedy so hard is that you, you know you you can't read the audience, right? Like when you're some famous person with a Netflix special, like people are paying money to see you. You've already got them in the door with your previous material, right? When you're when you're performing at a show where nobody knows who you are and it and it's somewhat of a competition, you know, you you, you really don't have a good read on the room and and that's when, you know, the, the topic of material and its appropriateness comes into play, right? Like right, uh, yeah. for me, you know, a major part of my bit is going to Catholic church and not only just the whole like praying, standing, sitting, you know, priest priests abuse little children sort of deal. It, it's it gets into the very specifics about, you know, taking communion. I, you know, my, my wife actually pointed this out to me afterwards. It's like, you, you can't, you can't do these jokes and expect people to actually know what communion is. And I thought about it. I was like, yeah, that's right. I, I didn't really understand how frequent communion was in a Catholic church. I didn't know it was a weekly thing until I started going with her. So the fact that, you know, I, I tried to, to work that into my bits in in a room full of you know hobos and you know, LGBT people, it, it was uh, that have church it, problems, you know. Like, yeah, exactly. Like they, <laughs> exactly. And, and you know, an example from your bit is uh, going back to talking about uh, David Hogg and how he's you know rejected from uh, from schools. Uh, you know, you turned that into a bit about like something about Asian parents, right? Yeah. Hog would have already been disowned at that point. Like he's already been punished enough, you know. And and I tur- I turned it from like, oh, it was a tragedy that he was in a shooting to like, oh, if he was an Asian kid, it would be a tragedy that he didn't get into a school. You know, it was a cheap shot, but well, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and and with the right crowd, it would have been funny. But you know, with, with all of them, yeah. like, I I don't think people get the Asian parent joke thing, right? If you... people were looking at people were looking at me like, what the fuck is college? You you spoiled. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. I was like, oh, all right, sorry guys. <laughs> I think the guy that went up right before us was like, uh, I've been homeless like 20 years yeah. of my life. It's like, yeah. fuck, dude. Like, <laughs> like that was like kind of the highlight strange thing of the night, right? He was homeless. He yeah. wasn't funny like at all. Yeah, he hadn't fun. practiced yeah. his bit and he just kind of stood up there depressed and was like, why can't we all just love each other? And, and still, everybody's like, "Woo, yeah!" Like, you know, what? Like, what a great performance! It's like it's because they all know each other that you know they're they're, they're supportive. 
<laughs> so Bruce Lee's buried here in Seattle. You guys, I'm sure most of you guys know that. And um, ever since I've uh, ever since I've moved here uh, with my wife, I've been trying to get her to come and you know see the grave. And her response every time is the same. He's already dead. There's not that much more to see. Now get in the car and take me to church so we can worship Jesus Christ. <laughs> Thank you guys. <laughs> take this moment to say shout out to uh the friends that came out that night leslie uh, our wives leslie michelle uh and then friends kelvin amanda medgar a- any other thoughts on your performance i mean i i know you know one of the things that i like i knew i would have trouble with and still fucked it up was uh proper mic etiquette i couldn't pull the mic off the stand properly and one of the other things that you're supposed to do as your bits wrapping up is you're supposed to place to stand up, tuck the mic in, and then do your last line and, you know, exit stage left. I held on to the mic, delivered my punchline, and then, you know, pulled the stand back in place, which, you know, adds on you know, an extra 30 seconds or whatever. My teacher actually said, you know, if, if you don't have good mic etiquette, people are going to, they're going to think less of you, even if you're, even if your material's killer. So that, that was one of the things that I was like, ah, like, yeah, I thought my material was okay, but my, my mic etiquette ended up being, uh, See, I think uh, that's a difference between you and me at this point because you're sitting up there worrying about mic etiquette. I'm sitting uh, like uh, I'm already there, like fuck, like you know how how much poorly how much more poorly can this evening go? This this and that. Like my my mind was in a was in a completely different place than yours because I thought that it would be a much more collegial atmosphere. You know, I, I think I I think I was trying to compare it too much to like. Just like one of the performances that I did in my past, you know, like where people paid money to to be there or mock trial where it's like, oh, you go on and then like uh, you get at least some sort of team feedback from it. It's not it's nothing like that. You know, you're you're up there and you're fucking like cold, alone and naked. And if you fuck up, like, you know, people will, will uh, talk to you back in your corner after you're done. But I mean, then you're done. Like there's nothing. There's nothing, <clears throat> there's nothing else that can be said, said to you. You know, your, your performance is your own. So I, it was a humbling experience to say the least. Yeah. And I feel like it always is. It's, uh, it, was there one moment, uh, one particular moment up there that, uh, that you're going to take with you, good or bad? Uh, there was that dude, um, older, an older guy, uh, that uh was sitting in the front row long hair he he was a regular there too and uh he was just staring daggers at me the entire time and i think that's i think that's going to stick with me more than anything he wasn't like i'm confused about what you're trying to say like it, he wasn't like oh haha that wasn't that funny he straight up was just basically like you motherfucker how dare you be here you know and and i think that that's like that's a stealing moment for me because I'll sit there and I'll be like, well, fuck, I did not approach this in the correct manner. <laughs> so that, that was the biggest takeaway for me. Yeah. Yeah. You, well, you'll, you'll get used to it. Um, I, I think in terms of the audience <laughs> this time around, I don't think there was really a moment like other than me starting off with a little hiccup of the mic. I don't think there was a, um, a little, any moment where I thought the audience feedback really made me shiver or anything. But, but I do remember the second time I did, uh, 
did an open mic or, or did a performance because the first time I performed was actually for my class. So everybody brought their 10 friends and everybody was there to laugh and support people. Right. So that's, right. that's actually a really good environment to do your first show because people want to laugh. The first right. time I did an open mic, you know, I think I, 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 I talked about this already, but you know, it, it's a, it's a comedy competition almost, right? It's an open mic, but it's also a competition to see who can make it to the next level. So I remember I told this joke and right. it's very, very elementary. It, it goes something like, Oh, you know, I got, uh, I, I got this, uh, I got this buddy who taught me everything I know about, uh, to, to have a hundred percent success rate in fucking girls. You just have to do three things. Uh, one, be smart Two, be funny. Three, don't be afraid to pay to pay for prostitutes. Right. And and looking back, I was like, you know, it's funny, but I'm sure somebody's done it before. Right. And I remember I did that joke and somebody in the audience just like looked up and just threw his hands in the air. Like, you know, like Draymond Green just got a bad call on him or something. Right. Like, like literally just stood up and like, was like, what the fuck or something. And then I was like, dude, that like that, that reaction is always going to stay with me. That I was like, Oh shit, dude. I I How dare you. Yeah, exactly. So, but yeah, that stuff will stay with you, and I something we'll remember. You know, it's it's feedback at least. You know, whether it's good or bad. It's character building. <laughs> it really is. It really is. Uh, any final thoughts on this? Stand up is fucking hard, man. Uh, stand stand up is uh, stand up is nothing is nothing that you expected to be from the onset. It is not relaxing it you know like you you will not automatically be good at it without you know working to improve on it 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 it's it takes a huge i mean even if you're talented it still takes a huge amount of like effort to really stage a performance that people universally will love and uh i i think that's where the talent lies and i think that's where like people are mistaken like are are uh are kind of like um, drawn in by the glitz and glamour of like of making people laugh and not knowing how hard it really is when you don't have a support group around you to do it. So yeah, yeah. It's, humble, it's, it, humbling it's a, it's a commitment to the craft and, you know, I, I'm sure if we actually wanted to sit around and talk to these people, they're, they're probably there every week. They're probably rolling out the same three minutes. Uh, I'm sure it's not the first time that these people have performed their three minute bits. I think, um, you know, they've definitely done it before there or maybe somewhere else. And, you know, that's actually one thing I was, I was talking to another buddy of mine, uh, who used to do stand up in Seattle. Shout outs to Riley. If you ever listens to this, but he said, you know, your bits good. If you felt like the audience was, was strange, you know, take it somewhere else. And he, he pulled up a couple other, uh, uh, open mics that, that he thought I, I could try it at just because the crowd is, is a little bit different. And, and one thing I, I, I wanted to talk about this earlier. I just, I just remembered one thing that I learned in class and I never really thought about this was um, laughing is a really, really, uh, I don't want to say an intimate thing, but it, it's a very, very almost private thing, right? Like some people think that, you know, if, if, you know, laughing is, you know, it's an expression and it's a way to show that, you know, you, you're appreciating something. But on the flip side, you know, laughing could be kind of reveal, you know, how you are on the inside. You know, if, if you think something's really fucked up, but, but you laugh at it, that might reflect poorly on you. Right. And, yeah. and the truth personal. is we, we, yeah. And the truth is I judge people 
when they laugh at strange things, right? Like it, like I, I, I was sitting in a movie theater and I watched a trailer for a Johnny Knoxville movie where you know it's basically jackass at a at a fucking carnival. So the trailer was just dudes getting hit in the balls and like one lady w- was in the in the audience just <laughs> laughing her ass off and I was like, okay, that woman needs to just be fucking like removed from the earth. Like anybody who's <laughs> laughing this hard at a Johnny Knoxville film in this day and age should just not be allowed to contribute to society. Wow. But, but, but that's the thing, right? Like laughing is, is a reflection of who you are, you know, what you laugh at. So it is kind of an intimate thing. And that's why comedy clubs are dark. They, they usually have the, the lights down in the audience. So you don't really see, you know, you know, who's laughing at what, and I thought that was an interesting point. Like if where we performed, it was it was really bright. I thought you know you could really see everybody's faces. But if you go to a, a different kind of place where the lights are down a lot more, maybe we would have gotten a little bit different feedback. No. Maybe, yeah. Next yeah. time, so next time, we'll next see. time, yeah. So you you gonna do it again? Oh, for sure. You know, like this is this is one of those things. Like the first time that I did. Uh, you know, drama, the first time I was like performing a play, the first time I was in a, like a student film or anything like that. It was like, oh, you know, th- like it, it's different because like for a film, it's like, oh, the first cut. Hey, you fucked up here. Okay, cool. Let's, let's go and change that. You know, like it, <laughs> you start to realize that like you don't need to get it perfect every single time. But if, if you, if this is something that you want to do, you really need to work at it. I, I don't think that like, you know, it's going to come to me and maybe even like within the next time that I do it, but it's definitely something that I think is worth exploring for me because, um, I think, you know, the potential is there for, for both you and me, you know, like that, that we, we want, we want this to an extent, you know, like that's the reason that we keep on going back up there. We want to be funny people and we want like, to a degree to be recognized for that sort of stuff, you know, on from people that are people that are other than our friends, you know? So, uh, I, I mean, it's, it's like a personal journey for, for at least for me, I, you know, like your, your motivations may be slightly different, but for me, it's like, okay, you know, I, I told myself that I'm this way for, <coughs> you know, X number of years, time to put my money where my mouth is sort of thing. So for me, it's like a challenge that I want to, I want to get better at. Yeah, look forward to uh, you know some more open mics with you, man, and uh, sure. hopefully we'll we'll be able to show our listeners a little bit more material down the line, <laughs> or any at all on my part. <laughs> <laughs> next time there will be a next, next time. All right, well thanks uh, thanks for all the listeners out there. This is the Wang Bang podcast. This is Emil Wang, and this is Jeff Lou. Keep on keep on banging. banging.